coming up in one minute on the Jack and Around podcast. Um, and so just seeing Todd that one time just kind of blew my mind. And I yeah. basically spent the last 20 years like racking my brain, like, huh, how could we figure something out for film and television that incorporates, captures that magic that he has and kind of tries to bring it to audiences in a different you know, kind of way. That whole scene in the bar at the end is like basically modeled after To Beat the Devil and Ballad of the Devil's Backbone Tavern, Todd's song. So like I took those two- Yeah, come over here, you little punk or Yeah, what? you little shit. Yeah, that's from <laughs> Todd's song, Old, Old Miss Virgie. Um, meet with Todd. Uh, he was like asking, you know, if we wanted him to be in it and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you know, yes, we'd love for you to be in the movie. I was, but I was thinking we'll cast, you know, an actor who can play music because this is a big heavy lift from an acting standpoint. He's like, good, because I don't think I could do it. But, but you know, Jack Ingram, he studied acting. He, he would be someone you should consider. <laughs> and, and, uh, well, I love it that Todd's pitching me for movies, though. That's good. <laughs> well, man, the movie's fantastic. Thank you. Guy like me, it's, t- it's my, one of my best friend's songs. Absolutely. And it's like, once I started watching about halfway through, it's like, this is, for, this is for real. Yeah. It's really yeah, good. Yeah. The music is, is integrated into it. The Hayes Carl song comes yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, there's just all kinds. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. And now, here's Jack. The Jack and Around podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas, and Willow Park, Texas, Fort Worth. Visit LoneStarDryGoods.com for more information. Welcome to the Jacking Around Podcast, available on your favorite audio platforms and in video on YouTube. For links and info, visit JackingAroundPodcast.com. I'm podcast producer Matt Pivato. Before I toss it over to Jack, I would like to first formally introduce today's guest. Justin Corsby is an award-winning commercial director and founder of Synthetic Pictures, an internationally recognized production company specializing in commercials, branded content, and filmed entertainment with offices in LA, Austin, and New York City. Synthetic's clients include the world's largest car makers, Starbucks, DreamWorks, Samsung, and Vegas Tourism. Most importantly, this episode, Jack and Justin will be focusing on Justin's first feature film, Hard Luck Love Song. As of this recording, is available in over 200 theaters across the country and is based on the song Just Like Old Times, written by singer-songwriter and one of Jack's best friends, Todd Snyder. Learn more about Justin and Hard Luck Love Song by visiting SyntheticPictures.com or HardLuckLoveSong.com. So without further delay, here's episode 13 of Jackin' Around with Jack Ingram, featuring special guest, writer-director Justin Corsby. Take it away, Jack. So man, how did you get how did you get involved with Todd? So, I mean, just to kind of go back to the very beginning, I'm born and raised in Austin and kind of grew up around the kind of roots music scene. Yeah. Um, I was born in an unair conditioned house in Clarksville, probably a couple blocks away from if you've seen Heartworn Highways, you've seen Towns Van Zant uh, carrying on in that trailer house in the yeah. 70s in Austin. I was born literally in the late 70s in a house a couple blocks from there. Um, and my mom is this like bohemian kind of poet who was friends with a bunch of the musicians from that time frame. So her best friends, Bobby Nelson and Martin Wigginton ran the split rail and the Alamo lounge and this place called Emma Joe's. And so when I was like a little kid, I was Bobby Nelson, not Willie's sister, Bobby Nelson, but oh. yeah, her, but yeah, same name. Um, 
her and Martin Wigginton ran these singer songwriter joints that were in the late seventies and into the eighties. And I was like, literally like a little five-year-old kid watching Towns Van Zandt, Lucinda Williams and Butch Hancock and Jimmy Gilmore and Joe Ely and all those people play. So I've been kind of in and around the uh, roots wow. music scene for all my life, basically. And my mom would read poems before some of these people would play and stuff like that. And Butch Hancock is my sister's godfather. And my mom's known Jimmy Gilmore since like the sixties and stuff like that. So it just kind of grew up around that. And we would go to, Kerrville and, you know, go to Willie Nelson's 4th of July picnics growing up. And right. like, uh, she would have house concerts too. So we'd have some, you know, killer music at the house, you know, real bohemian kind of stuff from, you know, the kind of heyday of that singer or songwriter scene. Right. Like the, 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 you're talking about the scene that, that made Austin what it is. Exactly. So I've always had a long, you know, kind of history around the music and just loved it. I'm a big music fan. Uh, in general, fairly genre agnostic, but I really love Americana and roots music. So, right. um, I probably first saw Todd late nineties, I would think maybe yeah, late nineties, probably. And you may have been on the bill. It was a Robert Earl Keen, um, Memorial day thing at the backyard. There were a bunch of bands. I can't remember for sure if you were on the bill or not, but I know Charlie Robinson definitely was. It was around that. I might've been. It was around that same time that you guys were kind of doing the. Sony Lucky Dog kind of stuff or whatever. Yeah, and Robert was doing those re revolution kind of, I forget what he called them. Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Upright, Texas Uprising maybe or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. But it was, you know, Joe Ely played, Ray Wiley Hubbard, you know, just, you know, kind of murderous row of people. And uh, it was, everyone had played, it had been an amazing show. Robert Earl hadn't gone on yet. And uh, right. this little skinny, barefoot, hippie, gypsy troubadour comes out. By himself with the acoustic guitar and a harmonica, no shoes on. Yeah. And just rocked the place and played maybe only four or five songs or something like that. Told some funny little stories. And I'd never seen anything quite like that. You yeah. know? Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they broke the mold with him for sure. Yeah. So I was mesmerized kind of. And I'd heard some of his music before some of those earlier albums, a little bit more, you know, full band and kind of, you know, right. a different. Like but uh, which are they're really songs great. of the daily planet and yeah some of those yeah step step right up step right up yeah, that was it yeah. that's that's right about when i met them too yeah and those are all great and i'd heard some of them but i wasn't like super super familiar until i i saw him that one time do that thing and i was like and just the way he can kind of connect with an audience by himself like that i had never really seen anybody kind of command it quite like that i mean you know a lot of people do the solo acoustic thing and right. do it really well but there was something just so kind of how his stories are integrated into his songs in a way that I've never seen anybody quite pull off the yeah. punchlines <laughs> and just the timing, the comic timing and just the general kind of glow and vibe that he has is kind of so unique. And so I was just kind of floored and mesmerized and just became a huge kind of fan at that point. And I, like I said, I, um, so that's like, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Over 20. Years. Yeah. About right around this 20 year you know, mark. So I've been a huge fan ever since. And I was kind of like, um, I had mentioned to you before, I had from Austin, grew up around the music scene, moved away to New York, went to film school at NYU, and then kind of came back here. And I was doing some film and television stuff here, doing mostly like commercials and stuff um, for a company that was here. Um, but then was also kind of helping out really into music and helping out some friends of mine who had some bands kind of back at that point. Right. And, um, so we were in that circuit going to see a lot of those kind of roots Americana bands and so Texas kind of music stuff a lot. And I was really into that scene, which I still am. Um, and so just seeing Todd that one time just kind of blew my mind. And I yeah. basically spent the last 20 years, like 
racking my brain, like, huh, how could we figure something out for film and television that incorporates, captures that magic that he has and kind of tries to bring it to audiences in a different, you know, kind of way. Yeah. So, well, you did. Thank you. It's really, so how did you, how did you come up with the, with the concept of, of taking a song? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have these two kind of real creative passions of mine. I don't play any music at all. I'm just a fan and, you know, soak up as much of it as possible. But these two right. kind of creative passions of mine are film and, and music. And so I, I hadn't ever thought about this idea of adapting like this um, until this spark hit. We were at watching him at Hog Auditorium. I, I live in LA these days, but I come back to Austin quite a bit. And we were at Hog Auditorium. You actually came out and played with them. Oh, that's right. It was about maybe five years ago. Right there on the on campus. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he, we were, my my producing partner is my wife, Allison. And we were down the road on another movie that I had written. It was kind of a detective noir kind of thing set in Texas. And we were uh, down the road of doing that. Um, but we were watching this Todd show and he started playing the first few kind of bars of this song said Coke machine glowing through the parking lot. And I turned to her and I said, Hey, remind me to tell you of a just spark of an idea that just occurred to me uh, after the show. And so she kind of rolled her eyes a little bit because I'm constantly saying, Oh, we should do this. Oh, we should do that. Or here's this idea, that idea. Right. Um, as creative people right. often do. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then like after the show, we went and like got a beer somewhere on campus or something, maybe the hole in the wall or something like that. And I just kind of, walked her through like hey i think this could happen this could happen this could happen it's a, the one of the reasons we i kind of thought of it was it's pretty contained their story right it all takes place at the motel and the song right and so we were trying to figure this other movie was a little bit bigger and a little bit harder bigger lift to get off the ground and so i was like oh this thing's a little bit more contained we could maybe do something kind of more simplified um but the framework for all this other interesting stuff is in the song you know he's got these lines where he just even in, like he says a cup you know uh won a tournament down in oklahoma city last night huff, or last week hustled half this town tonight that's almost all he says about pool playing in the song <laughs> right. but there's so much backstory i'm like wait tap the brakes how did you get from that to where you are in this rundown motel like what happened how did you hustle the you know the people what happened who are the you know people that were involved right, who did you cross right. paths with all that kind of stuff so it just got my kind of gear spinning on like oh wait there's these all those lines that have that have backstory so much backstory yeah exactly so and this and there's an economy of songwriting obviously where you don't have to tell all that kind of backstory you just like drop you know a phrase here or a phrase there or a couple lines here and you kind of the audience kind of uses their imagination to kind of fill that in and i guess as a filmmaker i kind of sort of did the same thing i was like oh he mentions what happens before he gets to the motel it's the pool playing and this other stuff and then like you know, kind of interpretation of what's going to happen if they, after they leave this motel. And, you know, so the idea was like, well, if he's out hustling people. There's probably some chickens are going to come home to roost at some point. I would think. So. That's great, man. Did you have to get his permission? Totally. Yeah. So, um, within literally like within two weeks, I had like a full on treatment and lookbook, you know, kind of pitch together for what the story could be got in touch with uh, Bert, his manager. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know Todd personally. I'd met him a couple of times here and there, just at shows and, you know, mutual friends here and there and stuff like that. Um, but didn't know him at all personally. Um, but I reached out to Bert and introduced myself and just kind of gave him a little bit of the backstory of kind of who I am, where I'm coming from and right. told him that I had this idea. Would they be interested? And um, 
they said, yeah, it'd be really interesting. I said, okay, great. Let's maybe I can sit down with Todd sometime soon and kind of pitch it to him. And we kicked around a couple of dates that were on his, because he was on tour at the time. He kicked around a couple of dates and they were like, well, he's going to be in Portland doing three nights at the Aladdin theater. <clears throat> and uh, he, you could hope since he's going to be play, in one place for a couple of days, that would probably be a good place to do it. So I think within a month of having the idea at the hog auditorium, the time that you guys played there, I was on a plane to Portland sitting down with Todd in a house that they had rented for him to stay at for the, you know, the week or whatever. He was seeing old friends and stuff oh, that's like right. that. He's from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, pitched an idea. Um, and he was pretty much instantly was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So it was, you know, and, uh, as he tells in his stories, you know, people, I'm sure this happens to you all the time. It happens in the film industry all the time. People, you know, people come up to you at shows and they're like, Hey, I want to do something with you. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so I think there was some cautious, uh, optimism a little skeptical of whether it would ever you know actually yeah, man. come I to mean, life you had a nickel for every time somebody wanted to do yeah. we should do this movie we, i'm doing this doing that exactly it's like all right man let me know when it's filming exactly <laughs> so that's kind of how i mean we went back you know we shared stuff with them along the way i would go out to nashville every once in a while and, and see him or i would be in new york you know doing business and he would be there playing and i would kind of go see him and say hey, what's up and did you have the script or just the idea? Just the idea and the kind of treatment and lookbook, like pretty outlined, pretty fleshed out. And uh, once he gave us the thumbs up, we you know we did like some sort of little, you know, short deal memo with, you know, his his team or whatever. Uh, you know, they, I, he's not he's not super into contracts and uh, paperwork and all that kind of stuff. So we kept it kind of short, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> As he says, he doesn't want to go to town and do the meetings and all that kind of stuff. So it's true. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no. And then maybe within a couple months after that the script was done and we started the casting process um so for a film that part was like extremely accelerated it went from an idea to casting like within you know i don't know five months or something uh -huh. like that which is pretty quick um but then there along the way obviously with covid we've had some other delays and stuff like that so it's kind of now back on a normal kind of uh four year kind of uh, cycle of getting a project done because is this the first movie you've Taken from start to finish? It is the first uh, feature film, you know, and, and major release like this. You know, it's being released nationwide today. Um, I've done some other stuff. We produced a documentary at our company called DMT, The Spirit Molecule. That's Joe Rogan is like the star and host of kind of, or, or not the star, but like the host and kind of narrator of it. It's about uh, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which is the drug that is in ayahuasca and it oh, right. exists in your brain, exists in plants that kind of that documentary in the book that it was based on kind of kicked off this ayahuasca and DMT kind of craze that happened like over the past 10 years where people are, you know, going out to Joshua tree. Have you done that? I haven't done it at all. You know, it's funny. I've done my share of psychedelics. And so I had a really good sense of kind of what it was about. Um, the, this guy that was working with us at the time had done it once and was like, blew his mind. He's, got the rights to the book. He's like, I have to make this documentary. So we went down this path of making it. And I was like, okay, as a producer, I'm going to not do it till we make this documentary. So I can be the kind of the eyes and ears of a person who's never done it before. Right. Um, but I was very curious and interested. And I was like, okay, when we're done with the documentary, then I'll take it for a spin. Um, but after kind of doing the documentary and, <laughs> and kind of uh, watching uh, our buddy who kind of got, really kind of obsessed with that kind of situation. I was like, I'll leave it for him to do. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll 
decide not to do it for now. Not that I won't ever do it, but haven't. I've done just, it yet. I've, I kind of felt the same way. You know, whenever I hear about it, yeah. I think Todd told me about it one time too. Yeah, and uh, it sounds heavy. Yeah, I think it is super heavy. And the weird thing is, it only lasts like ten. I mean, if you do ayahuasca, it lasts forever. It's like peyote or whatever. But if you do just the DMT, it like only lasts like ten minutes. But they say that it feels like eons. So that part sounds pretty cool and also a little and frightening like, at the same. If I time. remember correctly, like Todd, I think it was telling me, see spirits. Like you see people, alien, feline gods, lizard gods, alien, feline, lizard gods of made of energy and geometric patterns. <laughs> and they speak to you telepathically. That's a trip. And, and you are them at the same time that they're speaking to you telepathically. So <laughs> you're freaking me out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how did you get, uh, what, what, what's the process like just being an independent filmmaker it's a challenge, man. Um, I super fortunate. I have a production company that I started 19 years ago, um, and I do national TV commercials and big brand stuff. So I, I've had a, a oh, been, so you, yeah, been very fortunate to have a successful career doing, you know, big ads for you know big major ad agencies and big major brands. You know, you know, Ford and Nissan and Burger right. King and you know Vegas tourism and Bahamas tourism and Texas tourism and uh, so it's a all sorts of stuff. Starbucks, we've done churning that. machine already. Yeah. So there's, there is this company that exists that I started when I was 25. Um, and it's, I love doing commercials. I love doing short form stuff. Cause it's like, you get a project and three weeks later you're done with it and move on. And you get to kind of experiment with like the latest technology. The budgets are usually pretty healthy. So you get paid fairly well. And also right. you're not having a scrap to pull it all together. Um, I mean, I just, did a shoot a couple of months ago and down in Costa Rica, I got to go to Costa Rica for two months and hang out and do a you know commercial. So that, that was cool. Um, so I've been doing this a long time um, and yeah. done some other smaller kind of independent, like we did a pilot that didn't end up going and we've done the documentary I mentioned, but this was the first time. Um, and I've been you know, trying to get projects off the ground for, you know, a decade, probably um, various fits and starts and you get an actor who wants to do it. And then all of a sudden they're not available again anymore. And then you have to start over kind of thing. But, um, it's a, it's super like the music industry. It's just really challenging time right now. You know, obviously right. not, not to mention all the COVID stuff, but just even prior to that, it's you know, the industry has changed a lot. You know, people don't sell records anymore. Right. Right. Um, on the commercial side of our business, people don't really watch television anymore. They watch stream everything with no commercials. So that that's happening. And then, on the film side, you know, just everything going to streaming and like. Um, so, how does streaming work for independent film stuff? Like, it's an interesting time. You know, right now it's sort of undermining a little bit, um, not unlike how streaming undermined the music business to some extent, right? Um, it, indie films primarily are they're independently financed, and then you take them to the marketplace, and the marketplace will buy them historically it's been it through theaters right art house theaters you know stuff like that so there are distributors like ours uh roadside attractions that's successful taking movies to movie theaters building that awareness and audience and then by the time that happens then the streamers license it from you and you know it plays on all the streaming platforms and stuff like that but right. what's kind of happened is because they've become so powerful and especially exacerbated by covid people aren't supporting going to movie theaters to see smaller movies as much anymore. It's like 
dominated by Marvel movies and big temple temple movies and stuff like that. So there's this weird kind of place in the industry right now where it's like, hasn't quite settled out for smaller kind of uh, films and stuff like that. So So theatrical is important basically, or you get lost in the kind of graveyard of like all the stuff that's just on streaming. And does does Netflix pay a fee or is it just usage? Uh, It's a fee generally. So what's happening is they're producing more and more of their own shows and not acquiring other things as much, right? They still acquire some, but like they want to own it all outright. It's become a situation where they used to license the films and put them on and then the films will revert back to the artist and the people who made them in studios and production companies and whatnot. But now because... They, their long-term goal is to own all as much stuff as they can. So they're making it themselves. They pay you to do it, and then they own it in, you know, in perpetuity, basically. So it's like kind so of- So like in music, anybody can just act, you can get access, you can put your stuff on Spotify. Yeah. And Spotify then pays based on how much people listen to it. Yeah, a couple pennies on every Yeah, whatever time. it is. But, yeah. but anybody can do it. But not, not anybody can put their movie on Netflix. It's- not on Netflix at all. Yeah, no, that's you. There are platforms you can like iTunes, you know, has, you know, movies and stuff. And so that platform you can. And then uh, Amazon is a little confusing because they have their own kind of uh, originals and stuff like that. That's more like Netflix. But then they also have the you can put it on there. So it's like a transactional situation where somebody can buy your movie or rent your movie just like you could, you know, buy an album on right. iTunes or, you know, what have you. So anybody can go. If if I just put in hard luck love song. Yeah. Eventually we will be available there. We're not available there now. And part of what that is, is like this exclusivity kind of building awareness is like we're in theaters and that's sort of like a, a great check mark saying, Hey, this is a legit movie. It got theatrical distribution from a really great distributor. And it, you have to actually kind of go see it in a theater. And what that does is just kind of raises the kind of prestige level of it a little bit more. Right. So by the time it gets to those other places, people are like, Oh, I remember that. That was in theaters. It it got reviews, you know, it did all those other things where sometimes if you just go straight to streaming, it's like, remember the back in the blockbuster days, there were the straight to video movies that were kind of like, you're like, (laughs) I never, I don't remember this movie. Where did this Wesley Snipes movie come from or whatever, you know? And it was normally low rent kind of B movie kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that same model sort of exists. And so like going the theatrical route, like we're doing with this great distributor um, is they did like this distributor did mud, that Matthew McConaughey movie. Oh, yeah. um, they did peanut butter Falcon that came out a couple of years ago with Shia LaBeouf. That's really great. They mm-hmm. did winner's bone. Um, another great kind of Americana esque movie. You know, they're, they're doing movies that are kind of in our wheelhouse and they're, they're, they've been really successful distributing movies like ours to, you know, it's not just the coast. Our movies will play. Our movie will play on the coast, but like to you know, kind of the south and kind yeah. Of how many how many the theaters country. will it be in? It's in two hundred theaters. So, wow. which is uh, probably medium. You know, like moderate amount. There are certainly movies that have far less, and then the Marvel movies have three thousand plus or whatever. They're in you know multiple screens in every theater across the country. So, it's uh, it's not obviously not that level, but two hundred is is pretty good for a, a movie this size. And so, so. What, what will gauge? success like what what's what how do you know how will you know that this is a (laughs) good question it it's uh it's kind of uh this weekend is kind of opening weekend right so it's like what the box office does this weekend kind of determines kind of domino effect of how much licensing fees we get from the streamers and 
television and all those other kind of things down the road. So like trying what you do is you put all the focus on this weekend, get everyone out to the theaters that you can. And it'll stay in theaters for, you know, for a while. But like the real big, you know, it's kind of like an album. It's like that opening you know, right day you launch it is like where you're going to probably do half of your, you know, kind of business. And then hopefully word of mouth builds and, and people keep, you know, continuing to right. to do it. But yeah, we're all in kind of uh, all in for this weekend. For are the sure. actors in town? Some of, um, you know, most of them are based in LA. Um, one, a couple actors who are, ba- there's one actor named Randall Reeder who's coming in for this, uh, you know, event that we're doing tonight. Um, he's going to be there. Uh, what, what, tonight. What, what did he play? He's Bump, the big, huge, like the largest yeah, human. The big dude. Yeah. And he was in Deadpool, if you've ever seen that. Oh, movie, yeah. Deadpool. They, they refer to him as Fat Gandalf in that movie. I oh, think. yeah. 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 So he's amazing. And and uh, he's based here in Texas and does a bunch of stuff here in Texas. Um, So he's going to be there uh, tonight in Austin at the thing we're doing. And then we're going, Allison, my producing partner and wife and I are flying to LA tomorrow morning and doing it all over again in LA. And we're going to have Eric Roberts there and a handful of other actors are going to be there. Some of our main actors. I just saw Dermot. Dermot's awesome. Yeah. On uh righteous gemstones or. Oh, I just saw him on some talk show. Oh, barstool sports. Maybe. No, it's it called the talk. It was just a, he was just, he wasn't on, he wasn't there, but anyway, I was, Anyway, interesting. He did bar. He did some sort of barstool sports thing for us on the movie, which was cool. Oh, I, did he? I haven't seen it yet, but he did it the other day. He's amazing. He's actually in North Carolina. I think he's doing Righteous Gemstones. That that's right. Danny McBride thing. I know he was in that because he flew straight from our movie to that with that fucked up haircut, and they had to figure out how to make that work <laughs> since he was playing a preacher in that movie or show. Yeah. Um. So he's in North Carolina, and then Sophia Bush is off in Canada doing her new TV series for CBS. I think one of the big. Man, she was great in this movie. Yeah, she's really, really, really killer. The chemistry between her and Michael Dorman, the lead actor, is just kind of off the charts. Now, where do I know Michael Dorman from? So he is actually from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. Um, worked in Australia for a long time and was a pretty successful actor there. And then he was on a show called Patriot on Amazon that if you haven't seen it, I highly encourage people to check it out. Um, it's how we found him. Actually, his manager sent over the pilot episode of Patriot before uh, the series launched, and uh, he plays this like undercover spy, CIA kind of oh, wow. uh, assassin, and he's off in Europe doing hits on people and stuff like that. And his kind of he can't tell anybody what he does. He's undercover, so what he does for his therapy is he plays folk music in coffee shops and kind <laughs> of sings about what he's up to. Um, it's kind of like his uh, mental health <laughs> regime. I so say. that's him singing and playing. That's in, him in, singing in, and playing. And in Patriot, this he can really play. Oh my god, he's incredible. Um, we they sent over the pilot to Patriot um, several years ago when we were casting. Um, we were meeting with a bunch of actors, a bunch of musicians you know, turning, you know, who were crossing over into acting and his manager sent this over and we watched it about halfway through the episode, uh, him and his dad play, if I needed you, the town's Van Zant song. And Allison, my wife and I producing partner, just looked at each other and we're like, this is the guy. Yeah. And, uh, actually she walked down the aisle to that song if I needed you. So it was like wow. extra, extra perfect. And, uh, he's an incredible actor, incredible musician. And he fucking shoots pool lights out in this movie which is a, another thing. It was like, you know, needle in a haystack. We need an incredible actor who can play music and also <laughs> shoot pool and make it really believable and do some incredible pool work. So, well, he did. Yeah. And Sophia Bush is, she's great. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. She's a huge network television actor, right? She's kind of headlined 
One Tree Hill, which was like her big show. Okay. And then Chicago PD was her other big show. And so we hadn't ever seen her do anything quite like this, where it's like a little grittier and edgier. Um, and so we thought this is a great opportunity to kind of go in the opposite direction of what people expect for her. And, and we know she can do it. She's really talented. And she, man, she really worked hard on it. That yeah, I'm not sure that I even knew who she was before, but she kind of has a uh, Diane Lane quality about her. Yeah, and that raspy voice of hers is really incredible. And you're just the, the way you lit the, the movie and it kind of darker. And oh, yeah. She, she looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah, she's huge. She's got um, it's a it's a generation that's like a little bit younger than me. Um, that is a like her show One Tree Hill is like what Beverly Hills nine hundred two one. I remember was that to, show was to kind of our, my generation, right. right? So she's like so well known from that. I, mean, I think she has like four million Instagram followers or something like that. She's you know just huge uh, social media presence and and really beloved. Like her rabid you know rabid fans. Um, that's great come out in force so what's the budget on something like this um like a little bit over a million which is a fraction of what you know these kind of movies typically cost um, really yeah yeah i mean it's a lot of money obviously yeah oh yeah um but uh yeah you know like uh stars born was like a 50 million dollar movie you know just to kind of give some perspective obviously that's a much bigger movie but like like you know we're a fraction of you know what something like and do you that go about do, do you go about raising money or yeah just investors or? independent financing yeah i mean fortunately because as i mentioned our company's been fairly successful over the years like part of the reason we made this movie was because it was kind of a little bit more contained and we had some money earmarked to help finance this and we had and then we had some great family friends you know investors who all kind of pitched in for kind of the finishing funds to get it over the over the finish line there so yeah i was and how many hats do you wear a lot <laughs> too many probably um, were you in charge of all the music uh we had a great music supervisor and a guy named dan wilcox who's a dj at kcrw in los angeles which is like our great public radio station out mm -hmm. there um so he was a music supervisor very helpful and and part of it and then we had a great editor named jay davis who's very musically driven as well so it's kind of like the three of us um, kind of handling a lot of the music. I wrote a lot of the music into the script. Right. Um, like the Graham Parsons, Amy Lou Harris song, like that was written into the script, like the Daniel Johnston song. That yeah, I, mean, I kept hearing little lines that yeah. were from songs. Oh, like. absolutely. Yeah, there's Easter eggs buried <laughs> yeah, galore. You know, we got, uh, we got Chris, you know, in there. He says, uh, Skip says, sounds like you've been reading my mail from. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that whole, that whole scene in the bar at the end is like basically modeled after to beat the devil and ballad of the devil's backbone tavern Todd's song. So like I took those two yeah, come over here, you little punk or yeah, what? you little shit. Yeah. That's from <laughs> Todd's song. Old, old Miss Virgie. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I kind of took those two songs and was like, okay, there's going to, you know, I'm going to work this into like this scene that needs to happen in the movie, but then like give it this texture and these Easter eggs of all this like great, you know, kind of troubadour singer songwriter stuff. So. Well, the movie's fantastic. It, it, Thank you. Uh, I got the link this morning and watched it from like, you know, seven thirty in the morning and, and you just disappear into it. Yeah. It's really phenomenal. Thank you, man. Yeah. That's, uh, it means a lot. You know, I, I made it for people like you, you know? Well, it's really easy to, it's really easy to screw that kind of stuff up. <laughs> yes. You know, when you're trying to deal with music and, and deal with how to make it be seamless without 
coming off as dear diary bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, fake language. Yeah. You know, like some of them are hokey, man. Like some <coughs> yeah, of they have people getting pissed off at sound check. Like nobody ever gets pissed <laughs> off at sound check or whatever it is. Sure. But it really is seamless. You did great. Thanks. Um, it's funny. I, I just remembered this while we were sitting here, the time that I flew out to Portland to um, meet with Todd. Uh, he was like asking, you know, if we wanted him to be in it and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you know, yes, we'd love for you to be in the movie. I was, but I was thinking we'll cast, you know, an actor who can play music because this is a big heavy lift from an acting standpoint. He's like, good, because I don't think I could do it. But, but you know, Jack Ingram, he studied acting. He, he would be someone you should consider. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he's like, and Hayes, Hayes did too. Yeah, yeah, you should talk to Hayes and Jack. And I was like, that's, cool. that's a good idea. <laughs> I did expect to see Todd in there or something. We were scheduled to have him uh, come in, but I think at the last minute something came up and schedule didn't work out. Um, kind of true to his story, we were going to have him playing acoustic guitar in the band and step up and sing Don't It Make You Want to Dance. Oh, um, uh, yeah, it would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah, that was the plan. We had Who band, is that? That's a band called uh, the Mojo Monkeys. Um, and some of those guys have, like, Taraz, the bass player in that band, was Dwight Yoakam's bass player forever and then also toured with Lucinda. And I think now maybe he's playing with Richard Thompson or somebody like oh, wow. that. So, like, those are like, you know. It was, it sounded legit. Yeah, yeah. And they recorded those songs. Some of those songs were, uh, a couple of those songs were my buddy Lucas Hudgens, who's a Austin. Uh, honky tonker out on, he's been out on the road with charlie uh, crockett right now but he, oh, wow. he wrote some of those songs and we had that band record them and then you know kind of play them back in in the in the scene some of them are their songs and then obviously the rusty weir you know song made famous by jared jeff and uh, i guess chris ledoux did it too but uh, i did it todd's done it yeah jared jeff did it yeah i think bonnie Raitt did a version really wow i have to check that one out i think but yeah, it's such a great song. It is a great song. Yeah. So that was the idea was that we'd have Todd kind of step out of the shadows and sing that one. But uh, I think there was something going on tour and some other stuff that just the the schedule didn't work out. So well, I love it that Todd's that. pitching me for movies, though. That's good. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cute, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, you know, whenever scripts come along or whatever, you realize just how skilled you have to be to to either either just a complete natural or it really is a skill set. Oh my God, it is a craft. It is a serious craft. I, I think people, you know, it's uh they get to, you know, they, average person sees actors, you know, jet setting around and doing red carpets and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, they just show up and look pretty and, you know, say their lines. And man, it that's not what they do. It is so right. much more than that is they, they have to tap into like real emotions and they have to keep them there kind of on the surface at all times to be able to kind of do it. It's, it's a very, very challenging kind of, uh, it is a trade and a craft. It, it is not I, unlike playing music. It's <laughs> funny. Cause then every, every time I see like, not to diss on anybody, but you know, the, the actors that start bands <laughs> and it's always just a little off. Yep. Yep. And so that's whenever I get asked to do acting stuff, I'm always like, Hey man, let's have respect for, for that craft because, because I've seen the reverse. Yeah. You know, actors trying to be troubadours and it's like, it's passable. Yeah. It, it's usually all passable. It's just, it's passable. it just, it, and I don't want to name any names or anything like that, but it's always usually just like, it's okay. It doesn't have the soul. It doesn't have the soul in it. <laughs> right. Or it's like, yeah. why can't you 
why can't you sing the way you act? You're so believable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I would imagine that it's, it's, it's the same on the reverse side from, from my side. Yeah. T- who transitions well are the hip hop guys. Like in our movie, RZA from Wu-Tang Clan, like he's, he, well, first of all, he's a musical genius, but he's also a really, he's a director in his own right. He's made, directed some incredible movies himself. And then like every time I see him pop up as a little character actor in these movies, like he's so good. And he like, he came through in spades for us. He was, That's he was killer. amazing. But yeah, we looked at, you know, we were looking at actors who have little side bands and stuff like that. Uh, um, and you know, we were down the road with some, some musicians who've crossed over. There's some that can pull it off. There are some, yeah. I mean, and it has to do with so, so much of that stuff. If you're going to do it a couple times, it's so dependent on the role Absolutely. being a natural fit. Yeah. And cause it, cause then you don't have to have as, as much of a set of skills. Yeah. It's not a stretch. Yeah. yeah. Or the ones that end up maybe like, you see it with the hip hop guys because hip hop is a short window. Right. And so their careers kind of end and then they end up transitioning into film or television. And some of them do quite well, but yeah. it's kind of a different, a little bit of a different thing. Um, so do, whatever happened to the, to the other movie you were making still in the back pocket. So hopefully we're going to make that one at some point. I, uh, you, were you already shooting it? No, you know, we had been out casting a couple of times. Um, and had some actors, some some fairly well-known actors who were interested in doing it. And what happens when you're making a small independent movie is you're sort of kind of second fiddle to their big studio paydays and stuff like that. So you get one on board and that even happened on Hard Luck Love Song. You get one on board and then all of a sudden Marvel comes knocking or whoever, you know, and is like, hey, we got this, you know, big thing. It's And they have to take those, you know, it's really important usually for them to take those. So then they have to take those and then you're waiting. And then what happens inevitably is you wait and then all of a sudden something else comes up and then, you know, ends up kind of falling apart it's a it's a real jigsaw puzzle to get one going there's so many you have to get all the pieces you can't just do it 30 day 30 day shoot or whatever no i mean our movie was actually only a 20 day shoot but you have to get one piece committed and then another piece committed and then another piece committed and another piece committed and then another piece committed like you have to get all these things to commit and firm up all at the same time and if one falls out it's like Jenga or something like mm-hmm. it starts to get pretty shaky and then another one falls out and then all of a sudden the whole thing topples over and then you're starting over. And so it's, it's a, it's a real challenge. Now, if you're, this happens on the studio level too, if you got deep pockets, it's kind of a different scenario. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're buying their time. And now how many, how many different sets did you have to have for, for this movie? I'm trying to remember. It's like you had the motel room, which is like 40% of the movie probably or something. And, um, so that, and that was a big key piece for us. We actually found that maybe 18 months before we even shot the film. It, it found was, that motel? Yeah, yeah. It was in- What's uh, it called? The, the Tumble Inn the is tumble what it's in. called in the movie. Uh, it's down in Long Beach. Um, and it's this old like 1960s, mid-century kind of rundown, you know, motel. We actually found it. There's uh, Leon Bridges has a video for his great song, The River. It was on that first big hit album that he had. Mm-hmm. And we knew some people who had worked on it. So we were like scouring- here in Texas and in New Mexico and Louisiana and Georgia and California, we were scouring for these types of motels. And uh, a crew member friend of ours was like, you know, I worked on this Leon Bridges uh, video a couple months ago. You should check it out. And we watched the video and we're like, that's the motel. And it pretty much, we looked at a hundred more and never found anything better. So who plays the cop? That's a guy named Brian Saka. And uh, he's super talented dude. Uh, he, I've never seen a cop portrayed that way. Yeah. It's pretty fun. It's a trip. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He was in the Wolf of wall street. He's one of those kind of, uh, 
troublesome douchey uh, <laughs> brokers that works for Leo oh, DiCaprio great. at the in the firm in in that movie. So yeah, he he's a super sweet dude, really talented. He's a writer as well. Like he wrote a movie that uh, came out uh, like last year or something. So, oh really? Yeah, he he's he's a good dude and he's really funny. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it's a tough one, right? Because he's like the comic relief of the movie, but he's also has this kind of lonely kind of poignant side to him as well. So it's like this real balance of being able to kind of strike both things at the same time. And it was, it was an interesting, I've never, like I said, I've never seen a a police officer portrayed (laughs) with such sadness. Yeah. Like some kind of weight, some kind of weight and softness. Yeah. Cause you know, he's coming in there to bust him and. Ends up wanting to hang out with them. Exactly. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> you know, and, you know, inspiration from Todd's song to some extent, like, you know, in the song, the, the guy like lets him go or whatever. And so I was like, well, well, maybe take that a step further. What if he actually is like, man, some friends, I can hang out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was fun. And uh, yeah, he, he's a, he's a talented dude that Brian Sack, he's really funny. So, and I do a lot of improv comedy uh, commercials and he kind of comes from that kind of improv comedy kind of world. So the stuff we did with him, like literally I'm like next to the camera going, try this, try this. And we're just like throwing stuff back and forth, like riffing and kind of, he's just real quick on his feet, Mm -hmm. kind of come up with something funny. And, you know, like when you knock that can off with the thing and like just weird stuff, it's like, you're intimidated, but this guy's not intimidating. (laughs) And like, and yeah, one of the themes of the movie is like this idea of like, we're all kind of on our own, right. we're looking for human connection and, you know, connection to humanity and stuff. And, it's embodied through the main characters, Jesse and Carla, obviously. But mm-hmm. like, I kind of tried to carry that over like the officer, the officer's at character is this kind of lonely guy looking for connection. And even like the Lewis character, the RZA plays like, you know, it's kind of a misdirect. You think one thing and then it's kind of revealed. It's not quite that. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And then he's heroic for a second. And then he's like scary for a, for a good amount. And then we reveal he's actually getting his heart broken in this situation. And it's like a little bit more complicated than what your eye maybe tells you at first. Right. So try to carry over that theme. And and then we kind of reversed it with Dermot Mulroney and his guys, like Dermot Mulroney's got all the friends, you know, and he's like the real scumbag right. you know, guy. So <laughs> we kind of tried to reverse some of those. Well, man, the movie's fantastic. Thank you. And uh, congratulations on, on getting it done first of all, but the second of all, you know, for, Guy like me, it's, t- it's my one of my best friend's songs. Absolutely. And so I was going to watch it regardless. And when you, these things can be so hit and miss. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's like once I started watching about halfway through, it's like, holy shit, this is this is for real. Yeah, it's really yeah. good. Yeah. Not that I'm a judge, but yeah, thank. You, I was man. just pleasantly. The music is is integrated into it. The Hayes Carl song comes yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, there's just all kinds of of uh fun things that happen yeah that don't turn into camp yeah 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 thank you man yeah it was it was fun and like yeah the first half of the movie feels like almost like a 70s kind of character drama that you know yeah and it's moving it's such a it's not a snail's pace but a yeah slow burn you, yeah. yeah you got you gotta you just be patient though. yeah 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 and then it starts it's like it kicks in and you start to really know these characters and it's yeah congratulations thanks man so everybody this is the director and writer Filmmaker uh, Justin Corsby. How's it going? And uh, Hard Luck Love Song is based on a Todd Snyder song, Just Like Old Times. And uh, he's made a really cool movie. You guys should check it out. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs>